A number of years ago, a man observed uh, a car stranded on, along the road, and he stopped to aid this person, and he got out and asked if he could help, and the person let him know that his car had quit running. He takes a look at it, and he works on it, and he gets it back running. The person was surprised that it was so easily done, and uh, that the person was able to detect the need. And he said, could you tell me how you were able to eliminate my difficulty and, and get me on the road again. He said, well, my name is Henry Ford, and I was the one that engineered that car, and I know how it works, and I'm glad to be able to assist you and to help you. This is an illustration that actually happened, and it happened for the person or the person who had manufactured and engineered a car. And to begin our lesson today, I want to, it to serve as an illustration to bring to your mind that that is the way Christ relates to us. He has made us. We are his. He was the creator not only of you and me, but according to Colossians, he is the creator of all things. And he knows our need. He can put us back together again. He can get us back on the road again. He can help us in our thinking. He can help us in our devotion to him. He can help us in our purpose here upon the earth. He can help us with the question, where did we come from? What's our purpose here and uh, where are we going? He knows all of those answers. And if we can just think of the Word of God being a manual, a manual uh, that will help us, if we can follow the instructions and if we can think that this was designed to help us, then we can be on our road, our way, and our travel with ease and with uh, enjoyment. I would like for you to turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter. When Jesus was here, this is called the great sermon. It can't be compared to sermon as the greatest. It's just the great sermon. Jesus preached five, six, and seven. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And sometime we call it the 
Magna Carta of Christianity. It is that which guides us in many principles in dealing with God, with Christ, and with other people. In the very first uh, of this sermon, the fifth chapter, we call it the Beatitudes. There's eight of them. And I like to think of it as the, you know, it's an octave from do to do. And you can think about the harmony that exists in that octave from the beginning to the end. And, and it all works together. It doesn't work uh, apart. It works together. It, it, it makes harmony in the life of an individual. In the very first one, uh, when he opened his mouth and he taught them, the very first one was a humble spirit. It's, uh, it's poorness in spirit. It's complete dependence upon God. It is, you're my creator, you're my maker, you're my Henry Ford. You are the one who designed me. You're the one who knows what I need. You're the one who can answer all the questions. That's what poor spirit means. It's completely bankrupt as far as operating in and of itself. And if we can, in our life, if we can understand that we, in order to be happy, in order to be adjusted, in order to be blessed, in order to be stable, in order to be the kind of person that Christ wants us to be, we must subject ourselves to him as having all the answers to our needs. And just asking him. And you know, a lot of time we don't want we don't want that. We think we know the answers. We think we have it all down, and we can um, just uh, live our lives if people would just leave us alone. That we know the answer. That isn't true. The first is to be poor and humble and dependent upon Jesus Christ, our Creator, and to let Him be our guide, and to let Him be our shepherd, and to let Him be our light. And when you think about the next one, it's, it's a concern that concerns people who really depend upon God and upon Christ. That, uh, that mourning spirit here, this, uh, if you're uh, poor and dependent and humble before God, and he's your creator, and then you're concerned about yourself, you're concerned about everyone that won't be that way that won't be humbly uh, submissive to God and following his way. You're not only concerned about yourself, but you're concerned about others. And a, gener a gen generous concern about a person's welfare with Christ and others is a requirement to make us function as we ought to. And the next step is, is even, it, it puts us in uh, the meekness there, the humility that is also in the first one, is just magnified here. The meekness is the person who understands that a workable relationship with everything that's created, the meek will inherit the earth, that a workable relationship with everything that's created, that we fit in with it, and that we are a part of God's creation and that we are designed to use what he gave and to fit in with it and to use it as a blessing. That's the meekness that inherits the best of the earth. 
is to utilize it for your sake and for God's sake and for others' sake. It's a generous outlook upon your purpose of living. And then uh, when you attach the next step with that is, is, is that you begin to be interested in, in hungering and thirsting and, and, and you just become addicted as the word is used twice in, in relation to Paul, that he got so caught up in Christ-likeness and acknowledging him as a creator and the designer of his body until it is said that he was addicted to the Christ. And this hungering and thirsting is the addiction that every individual ought to acquire and ought to seek for. And that addiction is for the righteousness, and the righteousness Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, he said, He is our righteousness. He is our wisdom. He is our redemption. He is our sanctification. He is our everything. And if we can just hunger after that, we will fit in with our purpose here in the earth. But it didn't stop there. When you are filled with that righteousness and that right relationship with God, then, you know, you become a different person. You become a different person, altogether a different person. You're merciful, and when you're full of mercy, it is that you're handing out and giving yourself and giving your service and giving your thoughtfulness and giving your interest to other people. Mercy goes beyond justice and doing what's right. Mercy goes to the person who needs and helps uh, and needs help, and, and you're just there without even asking. You just want to do it. That's Christ-likeness. That's what we're made to do. And that's the reason it would be a wonderful place to live if everyone was filled with mercy. And that blended with a pure heart, with a pure heart. You just even, it just accents itself. When you begin to exercise those characteristics, you begin to become like God. You become what he designed his creation to be. And if there's anything that we need today, it is that mercifulness, that pureness in heart, and the one that follows it, a busy peacemaker. You don't find very many people who want to make peace where there's chaos and cruelty and difficulty going on. But the person who understands that's what we're designed to do, then he's going to be about it, and, and he's going to work. And, and we're called the children of God when we, when we do that. Now, the climax of all of this and the octave, the, the dough at the top that goes with the dough at the bottom, which is the poorness, is the stability and the steadfastness in just what we've talked about. There's going to be people on every side that's going to try to persecute, keep you, and get you off track. The devil is going about as a roaring lion. He, he is endeavoring to get you sidetracked and to get your carburetor not working or your magneto. They had magnetism back in that day not working or something not working. And if it isn't functioning like it ought to, then we're going to have trouble. But when it's functioning and you have the harmony, 
You're going to serve God's purpose. You're going to serve God's purpose. Would you turn to the 13th chapter of the book of John? The last time upon this earth, before he was crucified, now he was back on the earth after that, but while he was still in his fleshly body, before he had been crucified, turn to the John the 13th chapter, and here is the great lesson that, uh, that he taught. It is the, the lesson that, of, uh, that we need over and over again and comes out of working with this Sermon on the Mount and making it a symbol, uh, symbolic of uh, this great working of God in us. Now before the feast, the 13th chapter, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them in unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid his, aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. And after he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded, then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? A question. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now. You don't understand it. But thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon saith unto him, Lord, uh, if that's the way it is, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I want to go all out for it. And Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. You just need to know the answer to using the towel with other people. And you need to know the answer of my sermon that I preached on the mount of submitting yourself to people for service and helpfulness. Being mournful for your concern, the concerns of others after you completely and you humble yourself in my sight. And how that you have become so interested in that kind of service that you just hungered and thirst and you gave yourself for it and you became caught up in mercifulness. 
and pureness of heart and making peace. This is the lesson. He said, you're not clean. Some of you are clean, but you're not. One was going to betray him. That's true. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you're not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garment and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Here's the lesson. Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If then your Lord and your Master have washed your feet, there's not anybody's feet that you can't wash. And you ought to wash each other's feet. For I have given you an example. That's the bottom line. That ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye, if you do them. Now, that word happy is in front of every beatitude that we mentioned in Matthew 5. And it means blessed. It means secure. It means really it's the attitude. Instead of the attitude, it's our attitude. And our attitude is accepting Christ. I want you to turn to one other passage. In Ephesians 4. And think about what our job is today as Christians. Our job is actually doing this and keeping this going. This is the reason why we become the church of our Lord. The first verse of the fourth chapter says that we ought to walk according to not the avocation but the vocation, and that's the real work of a Christian, is portraying those attitudes that were mentioned in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we're called to do. We're designed for that. He created us for that. And the second verse says, this is to be done with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering for bearing one another in love. And the third verse says, we just keep on keeping on endeavoring to keep is an infinitive. And it preceded by German here of endeavoring, of keeping on, keeping on. The unity of the Spirit. What is the unity of the Spirit? Well, it's the octave that he gave us in the Sermon on the Mount of peace and harmony that's in the life of every believer, every person who is a Christian. And that's the way you keep the spirit, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, and he names seven, seven characteristics of the unity. Now I want you to think about this in application. As you go down through this chapter, of the 17th verse of the 4th chapter. 
This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. What brought unity was those characteristics that are named in the first eight verses of Matthew. It's what's re-emphasized in all of this writing. It's re-emphasized here. People who were at Ephesus and Paul baptized 12 people. And then it grew to a large church where that all Asia heard the word of the Lord. And then he writes back from prison and he tells them, here's the way it was. You were past feeling. You'd given yourselves over to lasciviousness and to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you haven't learned Christ that way. If so be that ye have heard and have been taught of him as the truth is in Jesus. Now here is the challenge and here's the challenge for each of us today. A person who has believed Christ, has confessed Christ, has repented of his wayward life, and has put on Christ in baptism, has put Christ on, but it didn't stop then, brethren. It has to continue. It's a continuous process. He paid for the sins of everybody that had past sins, of everyone that has present sins. All you have to do is just confess it when you miss the mark, and he just takes it away. You, you have access to it. Anything in the future, any mistake you might make, you have the blessings and you have the characteristics of just joining with Christ and being cleansed and sanctified and set apart. You'll never have to worry about not making it to heaven because you have heaven made. But you just don't stop putting on Christ. Look at that 22nd verse. Put off concerning the former conversation of the old man which is corrupt according to the deny, deceitful love. It's always a continuous process. And you've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's a continuous process. What is it? We found it in the attitude in Matthew 5. We find it in 2 Peter where he says, Add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and if these things be in you and abound in love and make you that you need to be barren and unfruitful in the work of the Lord Jesus. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now look at number 24. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, back where we started. Henry Ford created his own Ford. He was able to stop and to tinker and to get it back to running. He knew exactly how it was made and put together. You think God doesn't know how we put together and what we need? And yet we read the Word of God. We don't think, as we ought to, that He knows how. We ought to act and what we ought to do. Look at that 24th verse. This is a continuous thing, brethren. That you put on the new man, which after God is created, it's created in righteousness. What is righteousness? That you hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's one of the attitudes and one of the activities in that Sermon on the Mount. It's doing what God would do and God has designed us to do. 
created in righteousness and true holy. Holiness. This is what we do. These, this was the church. And talk. Look at number 25. Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. In order to put on, you've got to put off. And it's always present. Number 26, you're going to be angry. People are going to be angry, but you don't stay angry. You don't even let anger cause you to sin. You just don't sin. Why? You're created not for sin. You're created for righteousness and true holiness because God made you that way. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. If you don't that get that out of your, your system, it's gonna, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna operate right. You're not gonna be the blessing that Matthew said you'd be. You don't give place to the devil. 27, the devil's alive. He's still alive. He has been put down, and he's been put down by righteousness. But if we're not putting him down by living righteous, then we have not, we have failed to join in the battle that God wants us to and is designed this far. Number 28 said, Let him bestow still no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands that he might have the things which is good that he might give to him that needs. That's a part of righteousness. Number 29, let no evil communication proceed out of your mouth, but such which is edifying will build up and minister grace to the hearers. You don't grieve the Holy Spirit when you're not having the right attitudes that have been mentioned. You're, you're grieving him, but when you have them, then you please him. And we're not to grieve, uh, grieve him. We're sealed by him. He's in, and the way to do that is look at that 31st verse. The bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all that built-up mouse. That's what we're designed for. And here's some positive ones in closing here. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know what's happened? If that 32nd verse isn't practiced, we've forgotten how, what God created us for. That's what he created us for, is to practice that and live that. Then we can go back and say, yes, the harmony is here. The notes are hit and sounded beautifully. How is it in your life? If you're lacking the harmony and the spirituality, come today and let Christ give you the strength as we stand together and sing.